My name is Lex Dad, and I'm a local Darug man. We share country up here in the Blue Mountains with the Gundangara people. I'd like to pay respects to our elders, both past and present. I'd like to pay respects to our young people who are our emerging elders. I'd like to pay respects to Pemawianga, Mother Earth, and Father Sky, Biami. And I say in our local Darug language, Warami Mirega Darug Nyura. Welcome, friends, to Darug country, and Yanana Budrigumara. May we all walk with good spirit, with patience, humility, and respect for one another. Didgeridoo, and thank you. Hello, this is uh, I'm Catherine, and this is Zach. Yeah, did you remember your name? I know I, I went to introduce myself as the third person, which didn't work very well. <laughs> did it shows how how my head is today. Fair enough. Uh, from Gandangara and Darug lands, which are very snowy at the moment here in Katoomba, uh, we are the hosts of Paperback Writer on Radio Blue Mountains eighty nine point one FM. Yep. Uh, our show is about all things books. Uh, it's a book show for all paperback writers and readers featuring book reviews, interviews with local Australian and, and international authors, new releases, literary awards, novel ideas, and lots and lots and lots of book-related puns. Although we got told last week we uh, didn't have quite enough book-related puns. so Well, I've got a good joke to start with. Oh, no. Ask Roz did this this morning and it's an old oh, favourite right of mine. It's not your joke, so that's okay. What's the opposite of a croissant? Uh, happy... Bird. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. A happy uncle. Oh, bird. Damn it. How is? An I was thinking aunt. of ant. Oh, ant. Yeah. yeah, but I'm from New Zealand. Croissant. Yeah. I didn't anyway. say a croissant. <laughs> Sorry. Australians, I should have picked that one. I don't know. Yep. So, um, we just listened to Casimir Pulaski Day by Sufjan Stevens. It's one of my favourite songs by him, um, and it's a true story about his friend dying of cancer, which is a bit sad, but it's just so beautiful the way he writes about it and sort of his feelings and the grief and oh he's amazing well that's just Sufjan in general isn't it though he's um yeah when we did a, a few weeks ago we did an episode on poetry and musicians did, I don't think did we even mention Sufjan in that I don't think we I did. don't think we did we should have we should have because I mean you could just reading the lyrics of his songs without mm. any music whatsoever um there's some real uh, in, incredible poetry yeah there. Uh, he's an incredibly talented uh, lyricist and if you don't know who we're talking about it's if s-u-f-j-a-n like Sufjan Stevens and probably start with Carrie and Lowell um, it's sad and funny and happy and poetic and beautiful I think it's just one of the best albums ever yeah and if you want to get to know anything about Catherine that's <laughs> the first place to start because she or just is anything by Sufjan Stevens su- uh, uh, <laughs> Sufjan Stevens super fan super fan super <laughs> 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 good uh, we so don't need to overdo it on the puns today just because we didn't do enough last week, by I the way. I was trying so. to make up for it. Yeah. Um, so we've got a good show today. As, usually, as usual, we'll be mm-hmm. talking about what we've been reading. Um, but our theme today is weird and gross books um, that we've read. And I'm sure that could be a very long show. So we've only chosen a few each. Um, I'm looking forward to talking about that. Are you referring to the covers being sticky and having glue residue from price tags and that kind of thing as gross books? Or no, I guess are you talking about the gross. content? Or people who don't look after their books or, and they're just covered. Or in people who fold the corners of the pages on their books. You, uh, you know who you are, and I'm are you not happy. To me? I'm not happy. No, not you. I do. The other ones. I just don't show what? you because I know you'll get mad. 
Anyway. My own books, though. I wouldn't do it to a library uh, book. Still disrespectful, but that's all right. I mean, the author spent years making, creating those books. Exactly, and, then you're just and that's how good it is. You're, you're marking the place. You don't want to lose your place, or you, you fall down the corner because it's a particularly poignant Have passage. Have you ever heard of a thing called a bookmark? It's this... Brand yeah, I new lose technology. Them. I think I think Tesla came up with it actually. <laughs> I lose idea. bookmarks all the time though. That's the problem. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's a conversation for another time. If anyone's interested, we actually have a wall of bookmarks at our bookshop where we put all everything we found inside a book on the wall. Um, and so some of them are actual bookmarks, some are receipts and plane tickets and bus tickets. Uh, Packets of salt and uh, pepper as well. Yeah, a leaf. <laughs> yeah, a leaf. Yeah. And my mum was a librarian and she actually told me once they found I promise this is true. I know this sounds made up. A piece of buttered toast and a book that was returned. That does sound made it up. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. I was, I was in disbelief too, but a buttered toast too, not plain yeah. toast. And I want to know what happens. Someone's like, right, I'll just make a piece of toast, going to eat my breakfast, just put it on this open book. <laughs> well, to be fair, if there are animals out there who fold the pages of books, then it's not surprising that someone's going to use buttered toast as a So bookmark. what you're saying, I, I should use buttered toast as a bookmark rather than fold the I'm book? Not, I'm not saying r- that's for a the better page. solution, but it's a slippery slope. <laughs> Once you start folding the corners of pages, <laughs> the next thing you're doing, you're putting buttered bits of toast inside books. So I mean, it, it's important to, you know, hold our values close, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it's really important to, you know. If anyone uh, is listening out there and you... Um, want to join in on the debate not that it's a debate i mean it's pretty obvious you shouldn't fold the corners of pages but or put butter toast if in a you book. have a view please uh get in contact with us and let us know uh what you think um unless you think folding pages is okay then just keep your mouth shut not really interested so wow so i, I bet think, heaps I think, of people I are definitely gonna, <laughs> I, I just think so many people are going to be excited by that i bet they can't wait to talk to you my Catherine. goodness what have you been reading? Lately? Well, before I say that, I actually, we're going to try and do a listener call out today um, to, to my mum, our listener. <laughs> yeah. But um, if, if anyone has any weird or gross books and is listening, we'd love to hear from you. Um, so we are on our Instagram. Um, there's a number they can text oh, on the show, right? Uh, 0406 0406-183-769. 0406-183-769. Don't call because I don't know how to answer the phone. But if you could text, <laughs> um, I would. I would love to hear what what are the weird and gross books. There is. There's a message in there at the moment. Um, sounds good and very in depth. I like what you guys are doing. Um, I mean, it came from eight forty three this morning, so it was I'm probably not to sure us. Sure that it's related. No, to us, I, I reckon it was definitely like to, to us so. ahead yeah. of time. It Thank does, you. It does sound like us. They were just so. preparing. They're like, oh, here come here come Catherine's at. <laughs> Let's get going. Um, so what have we been reading? I have just finished this morning actually. Virginia Woolf's To the Lighthouse. Um, which is actually my first fiction I've read of hers. Um, I have about six of her books at home and they, the pile's getting bigger and bigger and I thought this is silly, I actually need to yep. sit and read this. And I think in some ways it was a weird book, jumping ahead to our theme. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, and I, it's, hard, it's hard because I don't want to say too much, but it was quite difficult to read at times because sometimes the sentences were half a page long and I'm not exaggerating. Okay. And... If you tried to really sit and take in what she was writing and the descriptions and the, um, I guess, the monologues and thoughts of, of, of the people in the story, it kind of lost its flow a little bit. Is that is that a deliberate technique to have really long sentences like that, do you think? Or is it just maybe it wasn't edited as well as it could have been? Well, no, it's interesting because I was, I was looking it up afterwards and they said that a stream of consciousness can be a way gotcha. of writing by... Who wrote Ulysses? It, uh, Joyce. Yeah, it, jo- it, James Joyce is famous for it. It, ca- it can be a technique, but it can also p- potentially be lazy writing as well. Well, 
wash your mouth out. Oh, You're sorry. talking about Virginia Woolf here. <laughs> now, now I'm angry. I don't care about bookmarks. Um, no, well, and I actually found it a lot easier to read once I stopped trying to take all the details in because okay. th- these these p- passages were beautiful, like the descriptions. But I'm a sucker for a good plot, and it was very slow, and it was it was more sort of. I look at you and this is what you're doing and this is what I'm thinking about what you're doing and you know they're all at a beach house and various things are happening and various people are there yep. um, when I stopped and just went you know what I'm going to stop trying to look at every single detail and everything she's writing and I'm just going to read it as a stream of consciousness it, consciousness it was a lot easier to read and it was quite enjoyable okay that makes sense um, then it has three parts though and I think the thing I found most unusual and I'm not spoiling anything was that when things happen and significant things happened, yep. it was in brackets and just a casual mention of a sentence. So we've gone from huge half pages of descriptions yep. to this significant thing happened. And honest, I'm literally in brackets, so like, like at the end of a sentence. We were sitting outside having a few drinks and a cup of tea and it was really lovely, full stop. Uh, and then open brackets. Uh, and then my brother died, close brackets. So... We added some sugar to the tea, and is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Sort or? of, but it was sort of at the end of a chapter. Oh, okay. So the chapter would That's go as it was, and then there was, yeah. And it was very, um, it was sort of in the second part that this happens. And again, this isn't a spoiler, but it was sort of very, this happened, and then this happened, and then this yeah. happened, and then this happened. Anyway, so back to the house and back to the descriptions. And it was a little bit, not jarring, but why you sort of why had to shake your head out of it and be like, okay, so where are we now and who's talking? And because yeah. there's a lot of characters, and, and don't get me wrong, I really enjoyed the book. I think I need some more time to process it because it was quite unusual in the way it was written. Is it a book that would you do well to read maybe a bit more slowly than what you did, just to kind of mull over it a little bit but to I, chew I, on I it? I feel like I did read it quite okay. slowly. I, I, I sort of read it in a, a number of sittings, yeah. and there were times that I, my brain just went, no can't do this today because of, yep. of I guess the I want to say the thickness of the writing but that's not the right term the viscosity of the writing <laughs> yeah I've, I've had too much coffee so. oh my gosh <laughs> yeah but there's viscosity of the writing thank yeah. you Zach no you know what I mean when I there's a mean, where yeah. there's a um you have to sort of wade through the writing and yep. you have you, you have to make an effort to read it I suppose it yep. feels like work it doesn't just flow it doesn't just naturally flow. necessarily but again then I went back to it this morning and I, it was easy to read so I think it sort of depends on your headspace and she, and, and you know she, she wrote in the I actually have no idea when she wrote the 1920s 30s maybe something I, around that I time I think so I'm really bad at that stuff yeah um so I think there was the the way things were written then as well and, yeah and there were little feminist um nods here and there and there's yeah. a, a feminist character who you know doesn't want to get married and yeah you know um well, and then and, and a couple of characters I really hated which I think is a good sign of a good writer um because you know telling a woman she can't write and shouldn't she, she shouldn't write and she shouldn't paint and women shouldn't do be this and be that and yeah. you know so there were definitely some nods to that well they need a room of, the, of their own don't they it's true that's and the that's thing. the thing I I read a, a room of one's own first. Yeah. And so the bar was already so high because I, that's one of the best books I've read this year, yeah. easily. Yeah, totally. Totally agree with um, that. But I'll read her other stuff. I, I, I you know, I've, I've, I think the, the Waves is probably next or yep. Mrs. Dalloway. Yep. Um, and I think it's one of those books with a reread. I think I'll appreciate it more because I'll be able to follow it a little bit more. Um, and because there were a lot of characters and a lot of goings on and it sort of would jump from this character's thinking this and this character because they're all sort of in a small house there's about oh, I don't know 12 of them yep. um, in and out of the garden and things like that so following okay. it um, you know became 
at times, especially when you know you're tired reading. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's I I enjoyed that. I thought it was really good. Cool. Um, just before you go on to your next one, can we just quickly talk about the book that you recommended to me? Mm-hmm. The ones who walk away from O'Malley's. Mm-hmm. Uh, guess Gwen. who? Guess who? Ursula Le Guin. Um, when I say a book, I think it's actually uh, an extract from a book. Um, the mm. Wind's Twelve Quarters, by um, by the looks of it. But you you sent me, I think it's about five pages or so, something like that, yeah. Um, to have a read, and uh, I just read it this morning, uh, and I'm kind of keen to talk about it. So if you don't mind, <laughs> oh, do I mind talking about Le Guin? Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> Welcome to the Ursula Le Guin show once more. <laughs> uh, but I brought it up this time, so I can't talk. Uh, Tell me about this story, Catherine. Well, what did you think? You just finished it. It's fresh in your mind. Uh, well, you know, the subject, one of the subjects, or well, the theme for today is weird and gross books. Um, it's not in the gross category. Well, actually, there's yeah, a there bit is a gross, gross part, um, but it's more to me in the weird category, mm. um, and which is not that surprising from Ursula Le Guin, a famous science fiction writer. She she uh, she writes about some really <clears throat> interesting concepts, and you know, obviously, she's writing about things that happen on other planets and that kind of thing. So you're going to get some weird uh, contents from time to time. I'm, I'm kind of trying to understand the point of this story, though. I don't quite... I mean, <laughs> I'm confused by a few bits and pieces with it. Um, so it's basically set in, a, I guess, the city is Omelis. Mm. No, the people any- are the Omelis. Oh, are they? Yeah. I thought that was the name of the town. It might no, be as yeah, well. Yeah, they came to the city Omelis. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the first half of the... The few pages I read, uh, very descriptive writing, very Ursula Le Guin, mm. I think. Uh, and she's a really good descriptive writer, uh, especially describing scenarios that might seem a little bit unfamiliar to, which is mm. you know, one of the talents of a really good science fiction writer. And it's engaging too, even though yeah, she's describing, uh, as you say, the first couple of pages are really just descriptions. It it's is. enough to keep your interest, I think. Well, well it's it funny, kept mine. It's, I was about <laughs> to say, because I did get a little bit bored um, in the first half of that story just because it was all descriptive and you know she's a very good descriptive writer no doubt about it but I, I don't know when, when I read whole passages that are just describing what's going on I kind of get uh, uh, I, I tend to lose interest a little bit I prefer for the writer to uh, to drop those descriptive sentences in a, among uh, the plot um, so not just to have whole paragraphs that are just descriptions um, because there's only Unless you're a really, you've, a really fantastic writer and you've just written this really compelling few pages describing something. And I'm not saying Ursula Gwynn's not a great writer, but mm. I, don't, I don't think she quite nailed it um, with, with these first couple of pages. Um, it, I can see what you mean. It did go on a little bit. But I think the whole point... I mean, do, how, how much can we talk about it? Is we it can a talk spoiler? About it. No, no. Well, no, the, the well, story in itself. I don't I mean, think it's, it's a spoiler because I don't understand what's going on. <laughs> Uh, so I mean, the, the first <laughs> couple of pages are talking about this. It's it, now it it very it's very much Le Guin because it sounds like she's talking about a utopian society mm, and alien, to me sort of an alien race. Yeah, and to me, it's all, uh, 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 it's she's basically going over her views on anarchy as well. This seems to me to be an um, anarchist uh, anarchistic society. Anarchistic <laughs> yeah, society. Anarchist. Because she's talking about how there's no need for soldiers. There's no need for for government necessarily, there's um, there's a whole bunch of things. These people don't need all of those things to be mm-hmm. happy. They just need the basics in life and they... Are very happy. Yeah, and they are very happy and they kind of support each other. And it sounds lovely. It's very Ursula Le Guin. 
uh, then, but then it gets real weird real I fast. I wish that this was a TV show. I mean, I don't, but just so you could see Zach's expression yeah. <laughs> trying to figure out what's going on. I thought it was quite straightforward. So the, the first half is all about how beautiful this, this city is and the inhabitants are always happy. And uh-huh. it's, it's almost like it's a role model for how society should be. Yes. Uh, and then the next sentence is, in a basement under one of the beautiful public buildings of Amelis, or perhaps in the cellar of one of its spacious private homes, there is a room. It has one locked door and no window. Uh, the floor is dirt, a little damp to the touch, as cellar dirt usually is. Um, and then uh, in the room, a child is sitting. It could be a boy or a girl. It looks about six, but actually is nearly 10. It's feeble-minded. Perhaps it was born defective uh, or has become um, defective through fear, malnutrition, and neglect. And then it's basically describing the child as essentially a prisoner in this room who hasn't been looked after or raised. They were taken away from their mother because they know what sunlight looks like, but they don't see any sign of sunlight in this room. Mm -hmm. People come and visit the child. Uh, They don't come to they visit to look and to observe, not to interact. Well, that's right. That's exactly. Mm -hmm. It's even worse. They don't come to visit the child. They come to see the child. And basically, it's a. Uh, it's almost as like the child is an exhibit in a human zoo. Yeah. And the child's mal- malnourished and is in terrible condition Suffering. and has boils and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of the people go away upset and some of them don't seem to be too fussed and go and see the, the child more than once in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she makes the point that basically it's almost like the trolley problem to some extent. Yes. You can't have uh, the happy people living above ground without that one person suffering yes um and so the the whole society depends on that one person suffering and then some people at the end choose to leave the room and then basically to leave the city they don't come back the end Uh, what don't you get (laughs) (laughs) i'm guessing it's supposed to be the concept that you can't well i don't know to me my first of thought was you can't have like a successful capitalist kind of society without people suffering that's the thing it's a metaphor for but that's the problem though she's not talking about a capitalist society but it's not just capitalism it's it's everything it's the fact that there's poverty that there's hunger that there's starvation there's none of that we know that and we have this life where we're free and don't have to think about it and it's a parade and it's happy there's none of that in omelis though there's none of the negative things it's all the positive because they've they've sacrificed it she's very clear that for them to be happy this child has to suffer and so they have to see the child. They have to know that it suffers and decide that it suffers because if they decide that it doesn't suffer, then they can't have that and well, they have to sacrifice okay. it. There's a problem with the metaphor right there because most people don't see the suffering in society that leads to their happiness and don't want to see that. Well, and that's the point. People, A lot of people go once and then don't go again because they're exposed to it. And look, think about like World Vision ads and things. Mm-hmm. People flick the station because they don't want to see it because it's uncomfortable. And so some people it's too much and they leave the city. I mean, I, I would have been interested to see like, you know, people going, well, hang on, this isn't okay and what can we do to free the child? But I guess that's not an option because everyone is happy and everyone has this but for the sacrifice of this one child. And so it's that trolley problem. Well, obviously we'll sacrifice the child for everyone's happiness, but that's the messed up thing about it. But it's that that's the, the problem is that it's not... The society they live in is utopian. If To me, the metaphor would work a lot better if the society they lived in was more like our society, that there were amazing things, but it wasn't this pure utopian vision. If it was an acceptance that some people need to suffer for you to have, because she's de- deliberately really, she deliberately talks about how there's no consumerism in this society. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with with our society, in order to have consumerism and capitalism, people have to suffer. 
to me, Ursula Le Guin is always talking about anarchy as a system that is the, the best system for humanity because everyone cooperates and there doesn't need to be suffering and there doesn't need to be consumerism. So there doesn't need to be children like this kid stuck in the room. That's the thing that confuses me a bit. It's almost as though, it's almost, it's almost a little bit like, it kind of reminds me a bit of Orwell in that towards the end of his career, he kind of realised that there were a lot of problems on the left as well as the right. Mm-hmm. And the way I read it was, it was almost Le Guin saying, this is one of the problems with uh, a utopian uh, anarchist society that even that kind of society can't exist without someone being at the bottom of the, the pyramid and someone suffering. But I think that's why the it's such an extreme. Uh, it's so extreme yeah. that they're so happy and that person is suffering so much yeah. because it's so shocking. Yeah. And you think, God, who could do that? Who could go and see that child and be like, Oh well, my happiness is more important. So I think she's done it quite deliberately to shock and to make the reader go, Well, hang on. Well, not you, obviously, but <laughs> but you know, make the reader go, Well, hang on. What is this? symbolic of because i think it can be capitalism i think it can be poverty i think it can be a a lot of things in the world any type of suffering really um that we put up with and 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 accept to to some extent just so we can get on with our lives and yeah we're not in parades very happy in these you know however the amelas are but uh the fact is there is extreme poverty and there is extreme wealth yeah 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 okay i know i i totally see what you mean and i I feel like I've got a bit of a better understanding of the piece now, but I still, I don't think it quite works as the metaphor that Ursula Le Guin was probably aiming for. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm not, I don't really want to criticise Ursula Le Guin. She's an amazing writer. Um, but I'm intrigued to see, uh, I don't know which, what, which book this came from, but I'm intrigued to see more from that book and whether this fits into context with the rest of it or not. Hello and welcome back to Paperback Writer with Zach and Catherine. Uh, the time is 12.34. We'll do a little bit of a, an update of what's going on outside. Uh, the trains seem to be pretty good at the moment, although I think there's some major disruptions coming tomorrow. Um, no, so that's that might... today. No, it's Thursday's tomorrow. Oh, yep. It's Wednesday today. I'm sure it was today as well. Uh, I, well, it doesn't say so, and we're not on a train at the moment, so I can't really help much. But check, because there's, there's those strikes and things. Uh, so. I mean, if you live in the Blue Mountains, you probably know to check before you catch a train anyway. <laughs> um, traffic looks pretty good. I don't think there's any issues in the mountains. It looks like when we came up from Lawson today to Katoomba, the road seemed pretty pretty clear. There is, of course, snow and ice around, so be careful. Especially um, if you're coming down from Mount Vic and yeah. go away. Speaking of uh, snow, the temperature at the moment in Katoomba is uh, just under six degrees. feels like zero, basically. Um, and that's pretty fair from our experience of being outside. There's still plenty of snow on the ground. Uh, 17 in Springwood feels like a 14. And Lithgow at seven degrees feels like four degrees. Um, so, yeah, everything else seems to be okay at the moment. Um, I've seen a few photos, too, of some people frolicking in the snow. It's been... Um, Pretty, it looks like it was pretty heavy. We're, yeah. we're in Bulabara, so we just missed out on uh, snow settling down, I think. But, but Winty had it, didn't it? Yeah, Winty and then, yeah. of course, the further, the higher up you get, the thicker it's become. So, yeah, it's been quite interesting. Um, you know uh, my about the bookmarks? I know about bookmarks. Well, no, yeah. with the talk. Familiar with the concept. Yep, yeah, good. <laughs> what we're saying before about the buttered toast, because um, mum was oh, a yeah. librarian for years, she was saying they all, she texts me on the, while the music was yep. playing, that an envelope with $200 in it left 
as a bookmark. Oh, wow. And they managed to trace the patron, which I think is so That's nice. Impressive, and apparently yeah. they weren't even surprised or that grateful. Oh, okay. $200. <laughs> wow. Thank goodness. Okay. Anyway. I think I would have been pretty grateful I know. for that. But I wouldn't mind finding $200 in a in a book. Yeah. Wouldn't be bad. Um, any other of our listeners making any comments lately? Oh, or? yes, actually. Uh, from... Chloe, uh, when I asked about what weird and gross books you like, mm-hmm. Bathroom Graffiti by Mark Ferrem looks at the weird art of public toilets across the world. Oh, that sounds interesting. It's really good. There'd be a lot of like rude comments though, right? Yeah, I don't. I'm, I don't know if I want to read that book. I'm not sure. Part I kind of me, do. Part of me does, but <laughs> the other part. I of wonder me if it's photos so too. Sure. It'd be really interesting to see. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's okay. probably weird and gross. I didn't know that book existed. <laughs> Being in a toilet. Yeah. I'd um, say you know, so. as well, I was looking for a book on um, how to fix automatic gearboxes, um, which was really, it was it was quite difficult because the library only had manuals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's not that's not bad. Yeah. You've, you've yep. had worse. What kind of reaction is that? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, I was right because it was fairly obvious week. where it was going. You're so. on jokes next week. Yeah, okay, I Will might you? take that as a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I, I'm one of those. I don't remember jokes though, so I'm going to have to find some jokes and write them down. But I suspect the happy to criticize be jokes a lot funnier <laughs> than, than some of the ones we've we've been listening to lately. Um, moving on from jokes and terrible puns, uh, I just want to talk a little bit about another book I've been reading, and I think I mentioned this last week. I'm still reading. It's going to take a little while, I think. Uh, a Brief History of Equality by Thomas Piketty, who uh, is a well-known French economist, and I'm, I'm kind of nerding out here uh, reading books about economics and, and politics and the like. But How many graphs were there this week? Uh, there's a few. There's a couple of interesting ones, though, that I want to talk about. So <laughs> it's a pity we don't have a um, TV show. Your eyes actually just lit up I when I said I'm that. Sorry, Nerd, I love it. And <laughs> the, the, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but the beautiful thing is that you can see that he's. it looks like he's made the graphs in Excel as well. It's not like a fancy oh, thank goodness. graphing kind of oh, graphic you know I was going to ask. Like, they I've actually look like the kind of graphs that I used to make. Oh, so. I've been waiting with bated breath because yeah, I was like, what if he's just hand-drawn them or used some other software? I thought you'd be excited to hear that. Oh, thank goodness he's Excel. So oh, um, I've made it through the second chapter. So it's <laughs> at a cracking rate here but it's just so damn interesting um so one of the things i did want to talk about and it's quite a quite a telling graph uh is talking about um the movement towards equality and we're talking a bit about environmentalism and climate change and pollution and the like um and he uh has done some stats and he found in the period between 2010 and 2018 so effectively the last 10 years or so the one percent of the planet's inhabitants who emit the most carbon, um, almost 60% of them reside in North America. Ah. So in the USA and Canada. So only so there's a very significant proportion of the world's carbon that's been emitted is coming from the top 1% mm. of in, uh, the planet's inhabitants who live in the US, um, which I think goes a long way to show that, that we're talking about major corporations and the like, yeah. uh, and the government probably to some extent. Um, but I thought that was interesting to point out um, because he also compares he compares it to uh, emissions produced by people living in sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia, which is basically nothing, especially on a per capita basis. But I thought it was interesting because I did read a short story, um, a short news article today, and you might not like this, Kath, mm. uh, and I know your sister's definitely not going to like this, <laughs> but Taylor Swift mm. um, was... <laughs> uh, she's been outed as... Uh, using, I think it was emitting 
more carbon from private jet usage than anyone else, uh, any other celebrity, apparently. Really? So in America been, or in the world? I think in the, in the US, yeah, I think. Wow. But So she was number one on the list of using private jets so frequently that uh, the amount of carbon emitted from those trips. Uh, because private jets, uh, they're smaller planes than commercial airlines, but you're only usually carrying a handful of people. Mm. So your the amount of carbon each flight uh, is emitting is very substantial for a private jet. Um, funnily enough, Elon Musk from Tesla was uh, right at the top of that list too. Because apparently recently he took an eight-minute <clears throat> eight flight in California. What, just to the shops? F- pretty much. From, nah. from San Francisco to San Jose. At, I think it was eight or nine minutes, the flight. So he boarded a private jet, flew ten, less than 10 minutes, mm. um, which is kind of ironic coming from the guy who would consider himself to be the guru of electric cars and you know, environmentalism and reducing carbon footprints. Um, and it just kind of makes me think about how you and I, Kath, we kind of try to do our bit to reduce our carbon footprint and... Uh, you know, eat a bit less meat and recycle and all that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, that contribution from you and I is nothing compared to the people in the top 1% mm. and the people who run the major corporations that are spewing carbon into the atmosphere all the time. Um, so when I hear government messages about things that we're supposed to do, it kind of irks me a little bit when the government are the ones who are, are actually in a position to be able to do something yep. and to get these big emitters of carbon uh, to change their ways. So well, I think that's where the pressure needs to be. Well, did you see this week that uh, for a day solar energy took overtook um, coal uh, as the primary power source just Where's for a that? day in Australia? Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, in the ACT, um, where I originally come from, they uh, I think they have a few days like that now where the, the whole territory is 100% renewable energy. Yeah, it's brilliant. I think mainly from solar power because um, they have a few uh, solar farms around Canberra but yeah that's um I mean it's it's the way things are going um which is good to see but I think they probably need to go a bit faster maybe if they get a better coalition coalition we've already got one of those but coal that was the little, <laughs> that was the pun oh no I get You're gonna it you're make me explain it it works okay. well it works well because oh, it's the actual word coal in coalition yeah oh is that why yeah, it's that's funny quite clever, yeah. oh that's I didn't yeah. I didn't get my enjo- so you're goodness. listening to the mansplaining, uh, mansplaining yeah, exactly. on Radio Mansplaining much. Oh, I thought that worked quite well, that one. Sorry, I'm just giving you some, <laughs> some credit for your pun. Oh, thank you so much. That's all right. <laughs> um, and the other thing I just quickly want to talk about with um, the uh, brief history of equality. I'm sorry for boring all the people who aren't interested in this. What, inequality? Uh, <laughs> economics. The Ermelas. You, you know about That's their right, suffering I child. That's right, exactly. Sorry, sir, keep uh, going. Speaking of their suffering child in the Ermelas, um, the next one is about the, uh, the slow deconcentration of power and property. Uh, and it's a really interesting chapter talking about how different groups in society, depending on their wealth, how they get their wealth, how their wealth is established. Mm-hmm. So the, the lowest... Um, the people with the least amount of wealth usually just have some money in a bank account, basically, and that's about it. Um, and then as you get wealthier, you start to own property. And then as you get wealthier, you start to own property and stocks. Um, but then when you get to right to the end, when you get to the, the absolute richest people, it's it's more property is actually a tiny, even though they might own 17 different mansions, because they have so much wealth, property is actually a tiny proportion of their wealth. And their wealth comes basically from the ownership of businesses, Mm. of multinational um, corporations and things like that. Um, But he charts, because I remember last week I mentioned that 
uh, I think Thomas Piketty's central argument is that equality is getting better, mm. that there's less inequality in the world over the last 300 years. And you were a bit sceptical about that and yeah. completely understand why. But he has another beautiful Excel graph. Uh, <laughs> It's it's based on Paris uh, and and France, but it shows that the um, the share of uh, property owned by people was very very high um, by the the richest one percent from 1780 to around about 1900 to around about the First World War actually. So um, the top one percent owned something like 60 percent of property in France, mm-hmm. um, and the the um, poorest half of the population, the poorest 50 percent owned not even 4% of property. Yeah. Um, but then after World War One, the richest 1%, their share of property dropped dramatically. So the richest 1% um, don't own nearly as much property as they used to, which is kind of reflected a bit in the idea, especially in places like the UK, where you have aristocrats who are living in massive houses but can't afford the upkeep mm. of them, um, or they have to sell them off to be museums or galleries or that kind of thing. Um, but the interesting, the most interesting fact is that the bottom 50% share of property ownership has barely increased at all. So even though the, the richest people, they don't own nearly as much um, property as a percentage mm-hmm. anymore, the poorest 50% don't own much more. So who owns it then? Ex- excellent question, <laughs> excellent observation. Um, and his point is the middle class. Ah. There's been a big increase in the middle class, which didn't really exist before World War I. There wasn't really a middle class. Mm. Um, so those gains, and this is one of the reasons why inequality has reduced in general, because there's now the rise of the middle class in the 20th century has allowed more people to uh, to own property um, for various reasons. Uh, but the point that you were making as well about feeling though inequality hasn't got better is the poorest people are still dirt poor. Yeah. And their lives have not really improved much at all. I've seen Les Miserables. It's terrible. Uh, I heard it was pretty miserable that ah. so that's that's enough nerding out about economics for the time being but um i will do i'm starting to think this is going to become a dracula daily kind of thing well i'll I'll read a chapter or two and do a um uh, an economics daily it is interesting yeah yeah it is it is so um but anyway moving on what have you been reading cat well i finished piranesi which i started talking about last week yep um and i i don't really want to say too much more about it because i think it's one of those books where if you go in not really knowing a lot, it, it's so much better. It's not, not really great for the radio show, though. It's not. Uh, read this book. The I can't end. really tell you anything about it. but Well, no, it's more that... I mean, I wouldn't call it a... I suppose it's a mystery because okay. you you know, you know f- you find out things as Piranesi finds them out and you don't know why he's there. Remember I spoke about it last week yeah. and he's in the... The, the the long you know marble corridors there's there's uh it sounds sort of 140 like fantasy halls. to some extent kind, or magical kind of yeah. yeah but the thing is y- all you know is he's he's he the house provides for him he almost worships the house yeah. and he he's he's a scientist who goes around taking notes so in this you know in the 144th hall there is this statue and this is what the statue is of and this is what it looks like and so he's he's methodically you know m- making observations of these halls and okay. the middle floor and uh, the top floor is clouds the bottom floor some of it's ruined and it's water so that's where he gets his food source from and you know dries seaweed t- to make fires and things like that um but then there's the other and, and all we know is that he sees them twice a week and that they're quite rude and but he, he's like it's my friend and i <laughs> like you and uh and, and you just don't know much and it's written quite 
like Peronese himself is quite charming mm. and quite sweet the way he you know he's just so grateful to everything that's provided for him and you know he's he's methodically going through this house and um you know writing these journals and you know watching out for tides and dangers and things like that but as you go on and find out more it's because I spent the, I spent a lot of the time trying to guess what was going on. You know, where where are they in this place? These dark marble halls, and there's just these statues, and there's nothing else. Why is he here? Who's put him here? You know, is it a sort of, I don't know, weird purgatory? Is it sort of a a, a fantasy? You know, maze? Like, what is it? It's, it's more or less a labyrinth, really. Um, and then as you find more, oh, I, I loved it. <laughs> I really wanted. It was one of those books that I couldn't really put down. Put downable. It was weird. It was yeah. definitely a weird book. Um, but I really, really liked it. I, I, I think it, it, it's, it's one that's, that's worth a read. And it's very easy to read. And one where you just, the more you read, the further you get in, you're like, hang on, what? <laughs> hang on, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, Who was the author again? Su- Suzanne, Susanna Clark. Yeah. Is it Susanna? Yeah, Susanna Clark. So she wrote uh, Jonathan Strange and uh, Mr. Norrell. Yeah. Was, was quite uh, popular. And then there was another one she wrote too, The Ladies of Grace uh, Adieu. Um, Grace, adieu. Adieu to yeah. you and you and you. So listen, if I'm going to talk about Thomas Piketty, I think I've got to work on my French pronunciation as that's well. That's true. Yeah. It's probably it's not Piketty. It's probably like... Picante. Probably not. Pardon me? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had something in my throat. Yeah, clearly. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I, I really, I'd recommend Piranesi. Yeah, uh, cool. P-I-R, not P-Y. Um, and it, it's fairly recent, I think. And yeah, just I'm so impressed by the author to come up with this as a concept. Yeah. You know, when you read it's books really and you cool. just think, where did you get this idea? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Well, we are going to be talking in the next hour about weird and gross books. So I think that's a pretty good segue. Mm. Uh, was there anything gross in it, would you say? Not really? Uh, not really. Just weird. I mean, there are dead bodies in the house, yeah. uh, like skeletons, yeah. and he gathers them together and, and, and tries to build them to, to find out more about them. And he sort of. Um, brings offerings of food and drink to them and talks to them yep. to honour the dead. Yep. So it's a little bit weird. Okay. Um, and he doesn't know their names. So one's like the biscuit box man and one was <laughs> clearly a child. And I like that, the biscuit boss, box man. But then, yeah, as the book goes on, you sort of do find out, you know, a little bit more. And again, I don't want to say too much yep. because I think it's one that would be really, um, it would be such a shame to spoil it. Yep. Um, yeah. Fair enough. Paperback Welcome back to Paperback Writer with Kath and Zach. Hello. Uh, 89.1 FM, you're listening to Radio Blue Mountains. Uh, it's good hearing the ad about... Uh, Earth winter Boy. And Winter Magic. Yeah. It's going to be good, isn't it? Yeah. Actually, maybe we should talk about Regenesis, actually. Or am I jumping ahead? Uh, well, we can talk about it now. Yeah, that's cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, we, um, Rosie Revelson Books and the Blue Mountains Creative Arts Network... Um, recently ran a competition which was um, sponsored by Bendigo Bank um, to uh, have a uh, try and find the best uh, short story, poem and artwork based on the theme of Regenesis. Um, so the entries closed uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, we had some fantastic entries from, uh, it was only for residents of the Blue Mountains, but we had some fantastic entrants uh, in all three of those categories. Um, and it's just really uh, goes to show how much, uh, how many talented um, artists and writers we have in this part of the yeah, world. We're sure. really, really lucky to be here. But uh, so um, we went through. Uh, we had three judges um, go through the shortlist of um, a poem and a short story and an artwork, 
and eventually we came up with a winner for each of those categories. And it was blind tested too, wasn't it? So all of the names of, of whoever yep. uh, entered w- were taken off and all they were given numbers? All the identifiers were taken off. The only thing that was uh, added was a number hmm. um, to for each poem, each short story and each artwork. And then they were sent to the three judges. Hmm. Uh, and the three judges made the decisions um, on that basis. Uh, and yeah, we're super um, happy with the results of that. We've actually just published an anthology based on uh, not only the work of the winners, but the work of the people who were shortlisted and the p- works of the people who were longlisted. Mm. It looks good well. too. I'm so excited for, for us to... Yeah, it looks fantastic. Really, it's being released this Sunday, isn't it? On Sunday, yep. It's so I've got copies uh, in my house and th- I'm the only person who has copies at the moment. And the winning artwork is on the front page it too. Is. And Oh, it's, it's so good. And as you say, the standard is really high. Yep, yep. I mean, I, I wouldn't have expected different, I suppose, but I mean, they were about... Was it 150 entries? Something like that, yeah. It was yeah. quite. A, it was quite big. It was. It was. And they're going to come and speak to. Well, that's why we're talking about Winter Magic because yes. on Sunday this weekend is Winter Magic. Um, if you've uh, um, living in the mountains and you want to get out and do some amazing things, it's fantastic that Winter Magic is back. But on Sunday afternoon from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. at the Blue Mountains Cultural Centre, we will be having the launch of our Regenesis uh, anthology. Um, so not only will the copies of the anthology be on sale um, at that event, but also we'll be talking to each of the three winners of those competitions. Um, so the winners are coming along and we're going to have a chat to them about their pieces and what it mean, what Regenesis means to them, mm. what kind of uh, things they, they've been working on in the past and are working on in the future. Um, we're going to have some of the other contributors to the anthology will be uh, at the event as well. Um, so we won't be having a, an in-depth chat with them, but... Um, I'll be pointing them out um, at the event um, and just highlighting the fact that they've all done uh, remarkable work. Mm. Um, it's going to be a fantastic event. Um, Barbara Lapani from Blue Mountains Creative Arts Network will be there as well. Um, and again, uh, each of the winners uh, receives $200 um, among uh, a few other things as well. And that was um, money provided by uh, Bendigo Bank through their sponsorship. So again, thanks to Bendigo Bank for that. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be a really fun event. Oh, and I should say as well that um, one of our favourite bands, Antelope, uh, from uh, based in Mawson, will be coming up and um, they've actually written a song on the theme of Regenesis, awesome. which they'll be playing at that event. I think they're also doing the community stage, they're playing some music on the Saturday as well, Nice, um, which will be great. So, And this event that we're talking about, not the Antelope event, but the Regenesis event, that's two to four at the Blue Mountains Cultural Centre, is. is that right? Absolutely free event as well, so come along. Um, yeah, it'll be on the... Uh, in a room just off the forecourt, um, near, in between the library and the cultural centre up there. It should be the, good. With the stunning, stunning views of the mountains from that forecourt up there. It's a beautiful place. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so, yeah, come along, um, meet some of the authors and get your hands on this uh, and exclusive artists. Uh, and artists, uh, exclusive um, copy of the Regenesis. It is really nice with a matte cover and yeah. colour printing. Gosh, yeah. a bit fancy. Yeah, it looks pretty good, I think. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I'm really looking forward to that. I think it'll be good. Well, should we move on to our theme? What is our theme, Catherine? Weird and or gross books. Ew. You right? Yeah, I'm right. <laughs> Sorry, I think I just stepped in something. <laughs> um, so what's the uh, what's, uh, first cap off the rank, Kath? To be honest, most of mine are weird. I do have a gross book to talk about, but I might start with Shades of Grey by Jasper Ford. Not, I can see you about to say it, not Fifty Shades of Grey. Damn it. That's probably gross. <laughs> it's I don't probably know. weird and gross. I haven't read yeah, it. I'm but, sure you haven't. Um, although, fun fact, did you know that that was fan fiction of Twilight? 
I didn't know that. And I have a feeling I know who that information came from as well. <laughs> yes. The, we- the Blue Mountains number one Twilight fan and probably Fifty Shades of Grey fan too. <laughs> Hello, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually going to have an episode on fan fiction in a few weeks, yeah, I think. Because that's right. it's actually a genre that I've never really explored and I did think it was sort of... I like this character and this character and they should make out kind yeah. of thing but I, I, think I suspect a lot of fan fiction is that well I don't know yeah. I, I think it'll be interesting to, to learn about because I think there's a lot more to it than it's given credit for it's a fascinating concept just mm. the fact that you know people uh, take some of their favourite um, pieces of uh, you know, favourite novels favourite films that kind of thing favourite um, games as well video games and uh, take it a step further and create their own worlds or mm. create their own characters in those existing worlds it's a really interesting concept it and it does kind of sit uh, you know, in, in the shadows a bit as well. I'm not sure it's it's chatted about a whole lot. Well, we're going to have Bori and Alex come along, both of who've written fan fiction, yeah. uh, and yet yeah, talking about what it's like. And I I will be very naively asking them a lot of questions because I don't really know but much about it. You'll be representing most of us. In <laughs> respect, I think, <laughs> think it'd be interesting. Yeah. Anyway, so Shades of Grey yep. by Jasper Forford. 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 Oh, I don't want to recommend reading it because there's a trilogy and neither the second or third book has come out and I'm desperate for <laughs> it. I loved this book. It was so good. Yep. And it is so weird. And I'm going to do my best to describe it. So it's set uh, hundreds of years in the future. It's uh, post-apocalyptic. And life is... Um, it's People live their lives according to a rule book, which has some really obscure rules and no one really knows why they follow them they just do for example you can't say the number between uh, 72 and 74 no matter what um you uh having a spoon is a sorry uh, sorry. say that first one again about the numbers no you heard me right okay you can't say the number between 72 and 74 what happens if i do say that number? well it's against the law you know, wow. you'll you'll be arrested, I suppose. Okay. Um, having a spoon, owning a spoon is a status symbol. Uh, there are giant swans that attack you. It is a really... Sorry, what was that last one? <laughs> you're a t- giant swans can attack you. I think there's something wrong you. with my headphones. I can't quite... No, no, I told you it was a weird <laughs> book. But the, the most interesting part, I mean, those are sort of little sob, you know, side stories. It's not even part of it. Yep. Social hierarchy is determined by your perception of colour. So say, for example, I can see red yep. and you can see, I don't know, green yeah i think you've nailed the weird book genre right? <laughs> so you you see this microphone cover next to me if i wasn't a high perceptive red i wouldn't be able to tell that that's sort of a ready orange yeah. i might only be able to see your mic cover which is a, a very ready obvious orange. red oh gotcha yeah it's because there's different shades so some people can perceive more red than others yep. but you can only perceive one color um and then there are people who can't uh, perceive any color known as the grays and they're sort of almost a servant slave class yeah, because well, they, they can't perceive color yeah, sure. and, and it's really really interesting because um you know it, it's it, it sort of is it's satirical it's making fun of um you know government and policies and following rules for the sake of following rules and it, it follows a character eddie who who's an above average red so he can see more red than an average red person can see <laughs> and he wants to move up the ladder um but he's asks he asks sort of the wrong questions because there's a lot of odd things that happen um where do people come up with this oh stuff? it's but it's the phenomenal. thing is it's funny and it's clever yeah. and it's because it's satirical and it's making fun mm. um it, it's really really good and you can actually buy color so the rich people can buy color to look at yeah, and right. you know if you i think it's if you buy green it's it gives you almost a drug effect when you look at it you I know think that's the next chapter in thomas piketty's book actually oh yeah <laughs> sounds like it colors, yeah. um 
but it, it's really interesting because there's also um, you can only date people who are. Uh, I guess complementary to your colors. So, for example, mm. you know, if you'd want to marry another person who can see red, or you'd want to marry a blue, so you'd make a purple child, because then the child would see purple. I read it a so few years the ago. The child's not physically purple. They no, no, see it's your purple. perception yeah, of gotcha. color. Okay. That's the thing, and um, they actually have a way to test to see how much color you can see. And wow. and uh, uh, the I'm just going to read this. Um, Sounds a little bit like a metaphor to me. Oh, well, you don't get those, apparently. <laughs> if George Orwell had tripped over a paint pot or Douglas Adams favoured colour swatches instead of towels, neither of them would have come up with anything as eccentrically brilliant as, sh- as Shades of Grey. <laughs> and I love it. It's it's really yeah. funny and engaging and weird. And it's it's I, I, it was one of those books I was really sad when it was over. And apparently he's been talking about bringing out the second one since it was supposed to come out 2013 and it still hasn't supposed to come out this year but i really <laughs> i know i'm gonna love it and get excited but then be another, frustrated then that there's not a third one the third i know yep, yep. um so yeah shades of gray by jasper ford then that's two f's yep, um i i loved it i love the world he created and i loved the co- social commentary and um yeah the the there's a very strong female character who's a gray who you know um is, is treated badly and looked down upon as sort yep. of a servant because she can only see grey, but there's so much more to her. and Yeah, hi, I highly recommend that one. So that's yeah. that's my probably my favourite weird book. Okay. Well, um, I, I mean, I was thinking about uh, some books for this particular subject and I pretty much thought of uh, virtually every Irvine Welsh book that's ever been written. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's got that one. In terms one of weird and gross. Wh- where it's like from the perspective of, perspective of a tapeworm yep, in someone's right. body. Filth, no, yep, thank yep, you. Yep. I'm not interested. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you know, everyone knows train spotting as well, but there's a bunch of Irvine Welsh books out there that are just uh, <laughs> bizarre. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's quite interesting because it's, it's not in any way really well, it's not dystopian necessarily or sci-fi or fantasy any of his books really but and a lot of them are kind of based in reality but they are very much based around i guess the word underclass kind of comes up again um people who are either at the bottom of society or are in quite difficult positions within society stressful positions as well and he doesn't uh hold back anything when it comes to uh, I guess the gross part of this theme. Mm. Um, pretty much every book I've ever read, there's at least two or three sections that I would say are pretty disgusting in terms of the descriptions of things that are happening. It's very, very real in Dis- that respect. I mean, I'm nervous to ask. Disgusting as in bodily functions? Dis- bodily functions and, yeah, I mean, you know, when you're thinking about a, a book written from the perspective of a tapeworm, you can get a pretty good idea of the sorts of things gross, you're going to encounter. No, thank you. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, I mean, uh, uh, pretty much any book by Irvine Welsh, I think, um, to some extent, is going to be weird and gross. Um, but one I did want to talk about, uh, I think I have mentioned very briefly in the in the book club episode um, when we talked about, uh, oh, no, there was a book that, yeah, it was a book club episode, and I was complaining about having been forced to read this book. Ah, uh, you're going to talk about Reykjavik. You are. I am going to talk about Reykjavik 101. Oh, my gosh. Um, which is, it's weird to some extent, but it's just more that it's gross, more than anything else. Uh, I, I don't, I mean, I, every time I read books about Iceland, and this book is set in Iceland, obviously. Um, every time I read books about Iceland, so this uh, is a common thing. I've read a few, <laughs> and, and, and it always makes me want to go to Iceland. Mm. Like, I, just, I just think it sounds like a fascinating place, um, and Reykjavik in particular, I think, would be a really interesting city. This is the one book that completely uh, bucked that trend, though, 
and just made me go, why in God's name would I want to go to a place like that? Because the main character in particular, the protagonist, is just a terrible human being. Mm. Um, he does things like, if I remember correctly, he swaps out, was it his mother's birth control? His sister's, pill, sister's birth control mm. pills for uh, sugar candy or something. Um, like he just does some of these horrible things. There's quite a lot of uh, talk about masturbation mm. um, and that kind of thing. And it, it's just, I mean, maybe it's a view of what it's like to be a teenage boy in Reykjavik. I guess, but surely there's better things to do. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's TMI. It's just yeah. some extent a bit too much information. I mean, the book itself is is kind of strange, and I I just really did not enjoy reading it at all. There was very little, and I remember pretty sure if I remember correctly, our book club was not particularly impressed with it. It was a fun book a club rule. though because we all hated it. We did, we did, but it was it, thinking about gross books. There's quite a few things in there that kind of just grossed me out, mm. just from the, the things, just from, from. I mean, if you're reading. I guess you can say an honest portrayal of what it's like to be a teenage boy in a relatively small city. Then I, I again, a bit like reading a book where the, the narrator is a tapeworm, you kind of know what you're going to get, I think, <laughs> but as you go into it. Um, but it wasn't my choice, by the way, because I had to pick a book on a fiction, a novel um, set in Iceland. And yes, I know I should have picked Burial Rights, but I think everyone else in the book club had read Burial Rights. <laughs> so you managed to get Ursula Le Guin and Hannah Kent mentioned into this show. That's pretty And good. you're the one who mentioned them. Oh, it's you're perfect. right, yeah. Haha, <sighs> <laughs> yeah. mind control. I think it's working well. Have you heard, um, I haven't read this one, but you know Ian McEwan? He wrote yep. Atonement and That Machine's Like Me. Yep, and yep. yeah, he, he wrote a book, and I haven't read it, it's called Nutshell. It's from the perspective of an unborn baby in its mother's womb. So that, that's the narrator. So can you sum it up in a nutshell? Ah, I see what you did there. Uh-huh. Yeah, I haven't read that one. That sounds interesting. But it's also Hamlet. Oh, so okay. so right, okay. the, the, the baby, the, the, I guess the fetus, the baby, whatever, yeah. in the mother's womb, but it's also sort of acting out Hamlet. So the baby overhears the mother's plots to kill the dad. So yep. it's kind of a whodunit. <laughs> um, and it's just... That really puts me off reading. I mean, it's very creative. And there's a quote. Uh, my limbs are folded hard across my chest. My head is wedged into my only exit. I wear my mother like a tight-fitting cap. Oh. <laughs> this too... It's the middle of the day, Kath. Yeah, but this it's is... Just, for the, the record, for the record, I was deliberately not going into detail about the gross things in my books but the thing is because i could top that no, and then some but well, no, i chose not to yeah that's a bit gross but the thing is that being a, an unborn child <laughs> as the narrator a modern day hamlet yeah. who done it like yeah. that is weird again where do you come up with these ideas yeah They're right just fascinating yeah and anyway, i haven't read that one and to be honest with you i'm not planning to but yeah. uh that that's one that came to mind yeah did i cut it on you sorry no 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 that's good i've still that's quite a visual concept yeah i thought i'd read that you're welcome the mother is a cap <laughs> a tight fitting cap a tight fitting cap yeah i, I have more the head pointed towards the only exit <sighs> that's you're right she did burnt into my <laughs> my memory now unfortunately should we listen to music or should i keep going uh you maybe keep going then we'll put right. another song on well well i the other one well i've got a, a few i could just keep going um but mary roach it's a non-fiction book called stiff uh, for the Australians out there, stiff, stiff, stiff. Um, so it's the curious lives of human cadavers, uh, and this was chosen for me as a book club book years ago, and I mm. would never have picked it up because gross. But I tell you what, it was so interesting. So it's and it is quite funny. Mary Roach, I think she's written a few things. She wrote Bonk, which is about. Um, I'm just going to turn 
uh, she wrote Bonk. Yeah, it's about sex lives, Is and it? she's written one about space, and she's quite funny. She sort of in a, uh, writes it in a in journalist way, but her own perspective, you know. And she sort of starts saying, you know, should I give my body to science and what happens? Yeah. So it's basically what happens to us when we die, and all the chapters are different. So um, some of them, for example, uh, are. Uh, bodies that are donated to science mm -hmm. used for medical students to practice on but a lot of them actually are for practicing nose jobs and boob jobs uh, isn't that right. funny so yeah. you think oh gosh i'll donate my body to yeah. science i'm a hero to all yeah but actually that's what a lot of them are used for yeah i can imagine um others were used as test dummies mm. uh some were used for body armor you know because they don't want to test it on a oh i see yeah and so if the body if the uh, the bullet, bullet stopped, <laughs> it went through the body armor, but stopped in the flesh. It was yeah. successful. So, of course, there were all these ethics. Okay. And the person doing that research was like, well, who cares? Like, they're dead. Why does it matter? Yeah. You know, because people are quite funny about dead bodies, I think, in the sacrilege of it all. Indeed. Speaking of sacrilege, it's also dead bodies have been used to um, check the, test the authenticity of the Shroud of Turin. Do you know what that is? I do. How? It's something to do with, like. It was the Shroud that. Jesus, Jesus was washed his face on or something. No, no, he was wrapped in it when he died. Yeah, something like that. He was taken down off the cross. He was wrapped in it. But he, um, it was sort of, you know, because he was stabbed in his side and the, this in the Bible said the blood yeah. poured this way and what would actually happen. Yeah. Um, it's, it's been used for crime scene decay. So uh, she went to a crime scene and they set up like they put a body in a rubbish bag yeah. and then they put a body that's cut up in a rubbish bag and then they put a body in yeah. the snow and so on and so forth. We and have one of those in Australia now, a body farm. Ah, yes, yeah. yeah. And yeah. that's, so she went to one and yeah. said, okay, so this is, and so the, the detectives, I, I suppose, or whoever, the morgue, I don't know, mm. uh, they go along and they're like, oh, so this is obviously 12 days of decay and yeah. things like that. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, even people who are offering to volunteer their heads for science, a guy managed to do a monkey head transplant and he wanted to do it on humans. It's a really weird and interesting book. Uh, and, and just the idea of, yeah, what, what happens to our bodies when we die. Um what are you, who is recommending all these weird books to you? This was before <laughs> I met you, actually. Yeah, wow. I read this book a long time ago. I've, I've heard good things about it, but I um, I heard that the writing's a bit stiff. Though. I was so waiting yeah, for that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. um, and funnily enough, I didn't know what a cadaver was when yeah. I like I you know you know what a dead body is, but I didn't yeah. know that cadaver meant human body. Yeah. But yeah, she's a, Mary Roach is a really engaging writer, and for what's a pretty gross topic, she made it quite yeah. funny and entertaining. That's and really cool. you know, she asked you know the the questions uh, that you know you'd be asking, and you know, uh, you know makes it makes it quite entertaining. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, so quite gross, quite interesting. So that's um, stuff by stuff, Mary Roach. The curious lives of human cadavers. Welcome back to Radio Blue Mountains. You're listening to Paperback Writer with Zach and Catherine. Hello. Uh, the theme for this show has been um, weird and gross books. Uh, uh, well, this is this is not a gross book at all. It's actually a beautiful book, and I, I it's one of my favourites that I've read this year. Um, but I think it's a bit weird, and uh, it's called The Library of Unrequited Love. Okay. Um, did you read that book? I did. I don't know if I would. Oh, it is a bit weird. I, I think it, I think it's weird, and I, yeah. I I wanted to talk about it because I think it's a, a it's a really interesting book. It's not particularly long, um, but it's uh, written by a French author. Yes, it's Sophie translated, isn't it? Devrie, I think. Again, apologies for the pronunciation. Um, it has been translated into English, and effectively, it's telling the story of uh, a librarian, um, and uh, the librarian. Come, opens up the library and, and goes down downstairs, I think, into a room and finds that someone has been uh, slept there overnight. They got locked in the library. 
um, it's not a situation where the person's homeless or anything like that. They just kind of, they were reading a book the previous day, fell asleep. Uh, and the reason why it's weird, it's, it's, a, re- it's, it's uh, a, a lovely kind of story about libraries and about reading um, and to a lesser extent too about bookshops, I guess. And it kind of really shows the, uh, I think the appreciation for books and libraries and bookshops in a place like France in particular. Um, and it, the reason I think it's a little bit weird, and we talked a bit about stream of consciousness before, um, and it's very much a stream of consciousness um, in my view. The librarian effectively uh, talking about what it's like to work in a library and the kinds of people who come in, and um, you know, it does touch on the subject of unrequited love as well. Mm. Um, and effectively, effectively, you feel like you're the person who got locked in the li- in the library. And you just have to sit there and listen. She's quite a character, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, until the library reopens and you're able to, to leave again. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's unusual. Um, I very highly recommend it, especially if you love books and you love reading. Um, yeah, I, it's, uh, it's not that easy to get copies of in Australia either, I don't think, but um, very, very much worth a, re- a read. I don't think there's many books out there like it either. It's a novella, really, isn't it? It's quite short. Yeah, it is. It is, but that's mm. why it definitely fits into the weird category. And it, I think you know, it goes to show as well that just because the book's weird doesn't make it bad at all, as well. Um, you know, and I think it's fair to say you and I, Kath, probably we, we like weird books. Mm. Um, Not gross books, though. Uh, well, there's a time and a place for gross books. <laughs> gross books. <laughs> um, the other one I just quickly wanted to talk about uh, was. Slaughterhouse Five, ah. yeah, a classic Kurt Vonnegut book. Um, I, I suspect it's probably his most famous book. Um, it's and pretty it, weird. It is again, <laughs> not in the gross category, but weird, mm. very strange. Um, it's about time travel, so I mean that's kind of weird enough as well. But it's about a guy who. Uh, <laughs> but it's not really about time travel. Well, but time, time travel, travel happens. happens. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, it's largely well, the, one of the things most people take away from. Uh, the book is the the part about the bombing of Dresden, I mm. think, and the protagonist in the book is in Dresden during World War Two when it's annihilated by um, the Allies, mm. um, and uh, so many people died in in some of those attacks. But uh, um, they were um, uh, prisoners of war being kept in a slaughterhouse in an abattoir, effectively, and that was one of the reasons that they survived the bombing because it was a very stout building, very strong. Um, but it also involves, apart from time travel, it also involves visiting alien worlds and <laughs> being put into effectively a zoo for humans. I forgot about that. Yeah. Bit. How did I forget about that? Yeah, I know. Yeah. And then so the aliens abduct him and put him in the zoo and then they abduct, uh, abduct a, a, a female. A adult film star as mm. well as a, a female, yeah, to mm. bring over to mate them. <laughs> and then it kind of so it goes goes forward <laughs> and then he ends up in a i think in a hospital bed this protagonist and he's talking to someone about the bombing of dresden a historian or something in the 60s or the 70s and the historian doesn't believe that he was there because he's obviously too young to have been there mm. and he's trying to say that it wasn't too bad and uh the protagonist also doesn't like war but he gets called a coward by the people that he's with it's 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 kind of a bit all over the place but it's fascinating it is it, it's one of it, i think it fits into that category of unputdownable books as well for me like it was just it's an unusual book uh it moves around a lot you, it's really one of those books where you, you just it's hard to tell what's going to happen in mm. advance um because it's taken a combination of 
of historical fiction and sci-fi and um, little elements of fantasy to some extent. Um, and there's, you know, there's, uh, it's a bit political as well. Like, but also himself as a, he's not really a protagonist. Things just happen to him. Well, you know, yeah. the, so it goes. Yeah. You know, that's it, true. It just, he kind of just goes with the flow, which is just mad to me. Yeah, and yeah. and that's the thing. And you kind of you you come along on that trip with him essentially, um, and you're really seeing the trip through his eyes. I think too, and that you don't really know what's what's going to happen next, or which or when is going to happen next as well. Mm. Um, which I, it, it makes a very interesting book. And again, I I I really enjoyed the book. I think it's it's um, interesting, and uh, uh, I think Kurt Vonnegut's a very interesting um, yeah. and unusual writer as well. He's someone so, I want to read more of his stuff. I've, yeah. I've only read a, f- a couple of his, but yeah. he's he's very weird and different, right? Sure. So it's definitely a weird book, but again, um, weird in, in very much a good way. Uh, so that's Slaughterhouse Five by Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah. What about you, Kath? Well, I mean, I was just thinking when we're saying we like weird books and not gross books, you know what it made me think of? That Lemon Room, that oh, book. Pff. Zach's heard this rant so many isn't times. It, that's weird and gross, isn't it? Well, it's not really weird. It's I mean, so the story goes... Um, uh, it's it's a woman who's been kidnapped and hidden in a basement, more or less, and she has a son, and she tries to like it's them in a TV and it's tiny, and um, she tries to distract the boy from what's really going on and you know protect him, mm. um, and you know more happens and you know that kind of thing. But the thing that I kept focusing on is this got something to do with a tooth? Yes. I so. <laughs> His mum. I mean, obviously they can't see a dentist because they're kidnapped in a basement. I, I, I'm aware I'm talking about this very nonchalant in a nonchalant way and it's it is traumatic and it's awful sorry yeah. but um her, her, her tooth gets rotten and falls out and then she gives it to the boy to play with and he sucks on it as a toy yeah oh i feel sick even thinking about it yeah and um, that's pretty what, gross and the problem is that this book it's it's done so well and it's made into a movie and people love it but that's all i can think of when anyone says have you read that book <laughs> room i just think of that too yeah and him sucking on the t- a decaying tooth let's let's move on well um, just on that subject though i think that's no, an interesting no do I, we want to go subject? further into that i feel but, nauseous <laughs> but is is that potentially uh, a risk for a writer if they're writing a story and there's an element that could be construed to be quite gross no, no one else reacted this way except but, my sister. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else is like, point. yeah, that happened, but what about the trauma? Yeah. And I was like, no, I know, th- they were kidnapped. And, but the well, what tooth? about my trauma <laughs> from having to think about the person sucking on the oh, tooth? Oh, it's yuck. I think but is that, is that a risk <laughs> with an author when you're, especially when you're dealing with weird and gross subjects that you uh, can end up having the book known just for that weird but I don't think it is. Grossing. I think that's just me. <laughs> this book, but as a general rule, though, I'm yeah, saying true. It's when interesting. you've got other books that have weird and gross things in them, uh, is that a risk you run that maybe you... you what, know, like David Sedaris in the book where he <laughs> oh, wrote a whole chapter about poo? Going to the toilet, yep. I think this just says a lot about me, really, and that I'm just, uh, I yeah, get grossed out easily. That's quite possible as well. But I, I mean, again, I, I don't think it's something that writers necessarily should keep in mind, but... Um, it's the same with it's the same with TV shows uh, and how certain catchphrases come out of TV shows that I don't think anyone expected, <laughs> or movies to be a particularly you know popular catchphrase, but mm. all of a sudden everyone's saying it, mm. and that's and, w- and when you say uh, you know the name of a movie, someone will straight away use that catchphrase, yeah. even though the writers and the directors had, had never had intended for that to be something that stuck in people's or minds. Like I'll be Bach, and then you could say I'll be Mozart, but <laughs> the other one I want to talk about, and I don't know, I'm still unsure if I should, because it is a bit of a spoiler, The Peculiar Sadness of Lemon Cake by Amy Bender. 
and the the main plot. So spoiler alert. Uh, no, well, I'm not sure if I will. Sp- so okay, okay, the main plot basically a, a young girl realizes she can taste the emotion in when people cook for her, and she realizes this when her mum makes her a birthday cake and lemon cake. Uh, and she ta- she does her mum. She's very young, so she doesn't realize that her mum's hiding her emotions. Mm. But she can taste the absolute grief and uh, everything her mum's going through through this cake. And her mum's like, "Let's sing, let's have cake, let's be happy." But of course, this girl tastes it, and she can't explain because she's mm. young. I think she's eight or something at the stage. This is the particular sadness of the peculiar, cake. the peculiar sadness of. Are lemon you cake. sure it's peculiar? Maybe it is particular. I think it's particular. Either way, yeah. Um, that's not the weird part. And so I, the reason I'm going to do a spoiler for this is because the, it's very much a side plot. And the whole yep. the, the story is about her and, you know, what happens with this sort of gift she has. And for a moment, she starts just eating manufactured food that's been manufactured by machines because machines don't have mm. – well, in this case, machines don't have feelings. Yep. Um, anyway, but this is the spoiler. There's a side plot about her brother who goes missing a lot. And he seems a bit mad and they wonder if he's on drugs. He keeps going missing – why does he go missing, Zach? That's a very good question. Because does he can he taste emotions as well? Because he he's turning into furniture. I did not expect you to say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's I read it and I went, What the what? Okay. And I flipped back. I was like, I must have skipped read it. I went back and read it again. And I was like, No, no, he's a chair. That's no, that was correct. Y- he turns into furniture. No, n- 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 there's no context or anything. And as I said, this isn't the main plot. This is just, uh, it's, there's throughout her story, there's when my brother go and she wants to be close to her brother mm. and she's going through this. I mean, imagine that. Your mum makes you a cake and your mum's really upset but putting on a face. I mean, it's, it, it's, uh, I think the plot is really interesting. Yeah, it's cool But idea. then he goes missing. She wants to be close to her brother. It's so engaging. She finds him and he's a chair. Right. Well, um, again, and we've said this a lot today. Where do people come up with this stuff? Weird books, all <laughs> it's right. Amazing. Um, and uh, and I, that is a spoiler for that side p- part of the book. But yeah. I mean, it's not weird book. But I mean, wow. I en- I enjoyed it. And I tell you what, I have a bad memory for remembering books. As I said, I forgot that he went to an alien planet yep. in Slaughterhouse Five. But I've never forgotten that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I it's can freaking weird. Um, does that so? Is it only food that is prepared by humans? It's not like they can feel the pain of a tomato being well interestingly the older she gets uh she 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 sort of i suppose uh refines her gift and she can taste whether for example bacon the pig was treated well and how it was killed and where it lived and even to the point that the grass the pigs don't eat grass the cow ate for example so it's actually i I think it's really interesting and it makes you that's the thing the book itself was really interesting side blot her brother's a chair yeah what well, and <laughs> what <laughs> i think I, I suspect the main plot um if it was uh actually happened in real life would be an incredible win for the cause of veganism yeah i would suggest well and that's what's interesting and then um although it might it might be it might horrify carpenters though the side plot so <laughs> because the ch- <laughs> oh my goodness it, it was so weird and i as i said i went back and reread it a couple of times because i thought i must have missed that that can't be no that, that's yeah. true so it's an important message he's a couch now for the carpenters out there just check the furniture before you yeah. work on it because it might be someone who's might be a person turned into a chair so far so good we have some so really far so weird good, <laughs> <It's a> good <laughs> one. cheers we, we have some very strange <laughs> conversations oh my God. yeah okay we're overdoing it now <laughs> Welcome back to Paperback Writer with Kath and Zach on Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM. Hello, hello, hello. 
Yep. Did you ever watch that show, Hello, Hello? I was thinking of RuPaul. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, okay. Well, that I think that shows our age difference. That's <laughs> a Manuel, extent. right? That's that's Faulty Towers, Catherine. No, what's You're the embarrassing one? yourself. No, now. I know, I know that one. And there's a there's a it's waiter. The French resistance. Yes, it is. Yeah. French resistance in uh, World War Two. But there's a saying in it. Uh, there's a number of sayings. That's, that oh, that show that's is just catchphrases, me. basically, with with horrific accents, and that's kind of the point. Yeah. The so English British, people so and the British, British people TV. and the German people all have terrible accents. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so we don't have a lot of time left. I'm aware we need to talk about Dracula Daily. Yes, we do. Not, I mean, things have happened, but not the way they did last week where I was like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mina now knows about Jonathan being in the asylum, the sanatorium, whatever okay. they call it, yep. you know, with violent <laughs> brain fever. <laughs> so she's so excited. She's finally got the letter. So it's the letter that we already read, um, but the letter was dated... Um, we we already know this because the letter was dated when it was sent. Does that make sense? So yes, someone in the hospital wrote the letter. Work, well, no, but the the, the 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 order of the book, remember, gotcha. is different from the order we see things in Dracula Daily yep. because it's put into order from uh, whenever the letters yep. of the journals were written. Okay. Anyway, so she's going to go and see Jonathan. Lucy's going to be left alone, and we know that Lucy has two bite marks on her neck, yep. and bats Suspicious. have been hanging around. So I don't know what's going to happen. That's crazy. No. No. That's oh, is that why it's? <laughs> <sighs> anyway, so remember the there was the asylum and the guy Renfield and he was eating birds. Well, now he's How escaped. He escaped, yeah. uh, and he's saying stuff like, "Master, I'm your slave, and I wait your command, and it's coming, it's coming." Um, Are you sure this is not Fifty Shades of Grey? <laughs> Sorry, keep going. Anyway, so here they put him in a straight jacket. <laughs> Um, and they were like, why don't you have a cat? You like cats. Remember, you wanted cats for your birds. This is before he ate the birds, by the way. He's like, no, I don't take stock in cats, quote, unquote. I don't take stock in cats. Quote, unquote. That's that's my quote of the day. So anyway, he's in the straight jacket and, and you know, he's talking to something we don't know what. And that they decide to let him escape. And so mm-hmm. he does. We find him pressed against an old chapel door. He's furious, but then instant calm. Like, you know, instant calm. Yeah. Um, and then a bat flies around. So that's okay. what's happening. That's, what, that's what we're up to. That's what we're. Wow. And believe it or not, this was a few emails. I think there were about four or five. They were on, short. A, on a cliffhanger there. Well, and also there was a receipt for the goods that had been moved around in Whitby and all these kind of things. But you know, yeah. But I, I, I want to know about Jonathan and I mean yeah. what's happening with Lucy. That there's uh, compared to how exciting everything was last week. But there were a few days where nothing happened. Yeah. Um, which again, you know, I wake up in the morning or if, <laughs> I know it's time to go to bed if one comes through at night. <laughs> yep. And I'm like, yeah, Dracula Daily. Um, yep. But you just never know what to expect, which I love. Well, I don't really take stock in vampires, so. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that quote. It's That's so amazing. good, eh? <laughs> don't take stock in cats. <laughs> don't take stock in cats. <laughs> okay, good That's for you. That's fantastic. Uh, cool. Well, thank you for that update. Uh, just quickly, I want to go over a little bit of book news. Well, it's only really one piece of book news because this is very exciting. The Children's Book Council of Australia, uh, every year they um, have a, a, a competition and they announce winners of various categories. Um, and they just recently announced the winners. One of the things, I w- the books I wanted to talk about, though, is uh, the... It's the Eve Pownall Award. Again, apologies if I've pronounced it incorrectly. But entries in this category should be books which have the prime intention of documenting factual material with consideration given to imaginative presentation, interpretation, and variation of style. <laughs> so again, keep, keep in mind, this is from ages 0 to 18, this category. Right. Uh, so it's generally aimed at uh, either children or young adults. 
Uh, the winner of this category was a book that you and I are both very familiar with, mm-hmm. Still Alive, ah. Notes from Australia's Immigration Detention System by Safdar Ahmed. He's just winning awards every week, isn't he? Left, right and centre. Yeah, it's, huh. it's incredible. Um, Good so on him. a huge congratulations to Safdar for winning another award. Um, I just want to do a little call out to the publisher of that book as well, 12 Panels Press. Mm. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure they didn't expect this book to be as incredible as it has been and to be as winning as many as awards as, as it has. Um, but full credit to them for taking on Safdar's work and for publishing it. Uh, through the Rosie Ravison Books, our bookshop, we uh, this is actually our number one bestseller by far in the yeah. bookshop. Um, and my dealings with 12 Panels Press has been fantastic as well. They're really... Um, great people to deal with um, and I think they're all probably over the moon about how well this this book has done Uh, so I wanted to mention that also because um, as we mentioned a couple of times in previous episodes Safdar Ahmed the author of that graphic novel is coming to the Blue Mountains Mm -hmm. um, in uh, October Um, he'll be talking at the Blue Mountains Writers Festival in the morning um, but in the afternoon he'll be coming a bit further down the mountain to Lawson in mm-hmm. the Mid Mountains, um, and we're hosting along with the Blue Mountains Refugee Support Group uh, an author talk just with Safdar to talk about his uh, book Still Alive, and that will be a free event. Uh, I so can't wait. It doesn't cost anything to come along and have a chat to Safdar and to to hear from him. Um, we'll have copies of his book for sale, and uh, again, the uh, we'll be. Um, uh, donating um, money to the Blue Mountains Refugee Support Group from that event as well. Mm. Um, For those that don't know much about Safdar's book, we have spoken about it in previous episodes. Mm. It's it's a graphic novel uh, and it's uh, a lot of them are from uh, well, they're, they're true accounts of what, what asylum seekers and refugees have been through. So ones he met at Villawood Detention Centre yep. and so he illustrates these stories in a very um, real and yep heartbreaking yep. and powerful and way beautiful and yeah. disturbing and yeah just remarkable yeah uh it's it's a book that everyone should read i wouldn't suggest that uh, i wouldn't necessarily call it a children's book but i think mm. young adults definitely uh i think can read which can and should read this book but adults too yeah. um, and again i'm not really never really been into graphic novels that much but this is uh a, a must read book definitely i think if you have any interest or if you're just inquisitive about what asylum seekers and refugees have have been through and what their stories are, then read this book. 